How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the third episode of the Inside the Phillies podcast. Here with me, Ben Silver, Alex Carr, Lauren Amore, Cade Kistner. How are you guys all doing today after that uh, Kyle Schwarber ejection? I'm doing terrible, thank you for asking. I'm fine. I'm yeah. in denial. I'm I'm indifferent. Uh, it's just kind of what we've come to expect, unfortunately, in this first 10% of the season. Uh, just a really disappointing, I guess, is the word for it. Disappointing loss. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I'm in a bad relationship, like, you know, Things just keep going worse. And then, you know, oh, the Phillies, she'll, sh- she'll show me a brilliant win. She'll show me, you know, what was it on on Monday? They, they came back, you know, oh, it was so beautiful. It was so exciting. Get my blood pumped. And then all of a sudden let me down just again. It's crazy because, you know, I still think that, you know, the Phillies are going to be good to me. And over the past four years, they haven't been. Five hey, years, yeah. 10 years, 11 years. At Come least on. you're not the chump that said that they would only lose three games in April. So. Yeah, no, that, that, I would. It would really suck to be that guy. I mean, guy. I'll be real. Like, I expected a bigger series from Kyle Schwarber, especially after hitting a home run 468 feet. I did not think that we'd be talking about him getting ejected after they lost one nothing. Well, his series well, was. A- Angel Hernandez will do that to you. So. Yeah, it was. You could. I can't tell if the frustration was. It was the fr- combined frustration of Angel Hernandez being the most awful umpire to ever exist versus the Phillies being trash the frustration combined just and into his meltdown yeah and I mean he did have the he did have the hardest hit of the night and I you definitely you can see some signs of like he's starting to bring it back he's starting to I don't want to say lock in yet those are strong words that I'm not ready to say but you can you can see he's starting to kind of bring it back um but yeah, I mean, just a total buzzkill tonight. That being said, I would not be shocked for his absolute blow up, which I'm a huge fan of, uh, to just serve as a rallying cry for the team. And I know that sounds like, a, oh, maybe this time. But like, truly, I I do think that, you know, sometimes teams need things like that to uh, to kind of spark spark the fire a little bit. Yeah, but- yeah no, I, I totally agree. Like, and... You know, it's one of those things that I feel like this team, right, is very emotional. They're very passionate. And if they don't have that energy, right, then they're not going to perform well. And I feel like that that blow up, that explosion that Kyle had, I, I agree with you, Alex. I think that that could very well be a, you know, a, a turning point in this season because there has to be one, right? This team is too good to you know be below 500 and i feel like this is this might be it this might be that turning point you know 10 percent of the season i i actually totally disagree i don't think that that they necessarily do need a turning point because we saw what happened at their you know quote unquote turning point in 2018 when franco hit the walk-off home run in august stay in first place we saw what happened after their turning point in 2019 when bryce harper hit you know the walk-off grand slam we saw what happened with two turning points in 2021 when luke williams hit the walk-off home run and in august when zach wheeler threw the complete game shutout this team has shown us that you know sometimes cliche turning points don't necessarily mean anything to them i think they're a good team I think they're going to come back. I think they've hit rock bottom. They might continue to be bad for a little bit, but they're not going to get any worse. And I think that they're eventually going to get a little bit better. That's actually a really good point. Uh, I definitely have 
put a little bit too much, uh, I don't want to say faith, but definitely put a bit too much weight on the cliche turning point thing uh, over the past few years. And it has proven to just kind of fall flat almost every time, um, except for, you know, the we need to win the next nine out of 10. And then they did. Um, but, you know, I... I do think I'm with you, Ben. I think they're a good team. They, it's not that I think they are a good team. They are a good team on paper. I mean, everything should be, you know, going according to plan. And it's simply not. I mean, we've seen sparks from guys like Kyle Gibson from Aaron Nola uh, tonight, just, just pitched a, a pretty solid game. Um, I am definitely not mad at seven, one hit innings with, you know, nine strikeouts. I'll take that any day of the week, but it's and I'm that even then it sounds like I'm underselling it, but like it, we've seen sparks from the guy, these guys, right? And if it weren't for the strange circumstances of the offseason and of the things that preceded this year, maybe we'd be looking at a different team, maybe they'd be off to a better start. But, um, yeah, as of right now, just it feels like you can't predict them at all. Uh, it, either one night they're extremely, extremely alive or, or they are just totally flat dead. It's yeah, and I mean, and as good as Aaron Nola was tonight, Angel Hernandez was, you know, equally as bad. So you know, like <laughs> the, we have the to weird... talk about. I mean, just just how terrible that guy is. I mean, oh, yeah, not afraid. The to fact say that. that he has a job, <laughs> that he has a job, like my slow pitch softball umpire who does it for beer money can call balls and strikes better than that fraud. I mean, it's terrible. If, if I did my job as badly as Angel Hernandez did his job, I would be fired. Well, I fire you every day, Ben. So well, I'm already fired. fired. Come on. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's my name. Yeah. Um, Benjamin. Wait, it's true. it's true. Kyle Schwarber, though, I, I am totally waiting for him to wake up at this point. His BABIP is 152. He's got a career BABIP of 271. And it's like, okay, he might have a down year. His Babbitt might only end up, you know, 240. Didi's Babbitt last year was, you know, 50 points below his career average. But there is zero chance that his Babbitt is going to remain 152. And that's also, I'm now realizing what it was before today. So maybe it's a little bit higher. You know, he struck out once. He had the double. It's probably like 160 now. And his OPS plus after today was also probably somewhere close to like 91 92 so i think even in a bad schwarber year his his ops is going to end up somewhere around 800 and his ops plus is going to end up somewhere around 110 it's strange because you know we we came off of seeing kyle schwarber have a, a pretty ballistic year um in which it was pretty much impossible to get him out uh you couldn't pitch him anywhere you gave him a high fastball it was gone you gave him a low fastball it was gone you gave him a hanging curveball in the zone. See you later. Like it was, it was really hard to pitch to him last year. And the only thing that stopped him was injury. And now we're kind of seeing shades of that Chicago Kyle Schwarber, who was having a lot of trouble balancing a good eye with not striking out a lot. Uh, and then also hitting for power and, and, and finding good spots to make contact. Um, I just feel like a lot of these guys are pressing too hard. That's just what it comes down to for me. I just think that they are feeling the pressure, even though we're only 10% of the way through the season. Uh, I think they're feeling the pressure and and nothing has really happened to ignite uh, 
the fires under their butts, except for maybe Kyle Schwarber's blow up today. So we'll see. Yeah. And like you said, like, it's hard to read them as a team because once again, they are failing to find any type of consistency. And that's something that has plagued them for, I don't know how long now. Um, And they had, this was their fourth consecutive series loss. I mean, they haven't won a series since the opening series. I mean, it's just hard to tell like what type of team they are when they've, the most games they've won in a row is what, two? Two, twice. They've won two in a row twice. The crazy thing for me is it's like, they seem to me the same way every other Phillies team has seemed for the past four years. And I look at those teams and like, oh my God, if this is how they felt, how did they win 80 games? Because this to me just feels like another 80 win Phillies team. But right now this is a 60 win Phillies team. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy to also mention though, that the Braves, I believe also haven't won or not. Also, they have not won a series to start the year. Not one. They haven't had a series win. Um, I believe that is the case. Uh, it's also, you know, interesting to point out that the literally every other team in the National League East is under 500. And now, you know, that consists of one very bad team in the Washington Nationals. I think the Marlins are actually a lot better than people give them credit for, but losing to them always sucks, of course. And then the Braves obviously have probably some postseason hangover, but um, like I, to me, Honestly, I think that the time to panic is way down the line. Uh, And while it does suck that they're not exactly coming out of the gate, very uh, playing inspiring baseball, as it were, um, you know, neither is really any other National League East team that's not the New York Mets. Um, So, you know, it's and even then, let's be honest, the Mets have they not barely, but, you know, scraped out of a series with the Arizona Diamondbacks after, you know, I think they scored a total of like 12 runs this week, um, which, you know, probably better than the Phillies, but still like they are off to a good start, but who's to say all of this doesn't ratify itself in the coming weeks. I don't know. I I'm trying to think on the bright side, but it's, it's, it's the first 16 games. Let's, you know, let's calm down here. And in terms of the Mets, I mean, they were in first place until what the begin the first week of August last year. And look what happened. So, I oh, mean, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a really good point, too. And I think that, like, right now, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's early or whatever, don't worry. And, you know, I think that we're actually a little too far into the season now at this point to say, like, oh, it's early, don't worry about it. But I don't think that we're far enough into the season where you can start to worry about it. Like, I, I feel like we're kind of in this, like, weird, like, shadow realm of like, what is this team going to be, right? You know, and I and, and like Alex said, like, it will work itself out. The Mets will match. Uh, the Phillies will hit, like, and everything will work itself out and, you know, kind of rectify itself. Um, but it's gonna, it, it might be, you know, a brutal next couple of weeks while we kind of figure out what the identity of this team is going to be. And the other thing is like, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot too, and I'm always a, a pre-planner. I uh, I look way too far ahead, but you know I've been looking at the trade deadline. Right? Who's to say that even if, if lest we forget, the Braves were sub 500 at the trade deadline last year. Lest we forget, and if that team taught anybody in Major League Baseball anything, it's that you are never out of it 
until you are out of it, right? So like, who's to say that even leading up to the deadline, the Phillies don't shake things up. Uh, not that they would need to add, you know, a million more bats to their lineup like the Braves did, but like, you know, another starter, perhaps, even if it's not, you know, some great name, but just a guy like Tyler Anderson, maybe who they failed to acquire last year. Um, or like, you know, a bullpen arm or two, like just shoring up the team that much. And then having the bats spark to life all of a sudden is enough to carry them through. So it ain't over till it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, along with the 2021 Braves and there's also this quote that Shane McDorino said in the 2008 Phillies documentary, he's like, he said that it's all about things going your way, like at the right time. And that's something that always sticks with me with baseball because it's so true. And the Braves last year were a perfect example of that. And those Phillies teams that were good, I mean, obviously they they were really good. They had the talent, but a lot of it was like things were just going their way. And the Phillies have not had good luck this season and not in recent history either (laughs) so I mean we've seen it like I can't tell you how many times I've been watching the game and it's like no other team does the player catch that ball there like (laughs) that doesn't happen that only happens to us (laughs) I will say oh go ahead no in all you like no Cade I I'm not gonna do that the Phillies OPS The Phillies OPS this year is uh, is 7.45, which is third in the National League. You look at that and you're like, wow, this must be a juggernaut offensive team. They're second in slugging. Their OPS, team OPS plus is 119. And then they're seventh in run scored. And by the way, I, this is all with a caveat that this does not include the stats from Sunday night's game. But it just seems like the team is hitting, but they're not driving in runs, which is obviously a symptom of not hitting with runners in scoring position, which is not something the Phillies have done in goddamn years. But it has to come around sometime. There has to be some form of luck. I mean, you look at, you know, what was it? Was it the fifth, sixth, seventh, something like that this evening where they have the bases loaded, you know, and didn't do anything with that. I mean, you had a runner in scoring position and, Matt Veerling hit that little, you know, shallow blooper, you know, out to right center and, you know, not doing anything with that. You know, I mean, it's you get guys on base and you hit, but if you're not scoring runs, you know. But then it begs the question, like, is there is there anything that you can point to and say, yes, this is why they're not getting their timely hits? And the only thing, truly the only thing I can think of is the way the lineup is structured. I don't know why with given the way that guys are hitting the way that they are hitting now and the, the the statistics that they are producing at this current moment in time, why are they sticking with the same like iteration of the lineup instead of flipping things around a little bit? I understand that like you're worried that guys are going to get out of sync, whatever guy, the guys aren't in sync now. Like I, it really makes me wonder how much of this like really falls on you know the guy sitting in the hot seat uh it being joe girardi you know yeah um so i pose two questions for you going off of what your comment alex and is that do you think that kyle schwarber should be back in the leadoff spot and second after reese struck out uh when the bases were loaded, when Cade, the situation Cade was talking about, I mean, you had Gene Segura up and granted he did get a really bad call from Angel Hernandez, but 
that's to be expected. That was a horrible strike. Sorry. Terrible. Yeah, it was awful. Worst strike call I've ever seen in my life. And there we go. Our first of the show. (laughs) Everyone took a shot. Um, So anyway, as I was saying, okay, so I pose two questions for you going off of your comment, Alex, and that is, should Kyle Schwarber go back to leading off? And should Reese Hoskins be bumped down from the, the two hole in the lineup? It's really hard to say because Reese is still sporting a pretty decent OPS. And and granted, it's not the slugging department that's carrying him. Instead, it's the on-base. But, like, wouldn't you want your best on-base guy leading off? So, honestly, I've always been in the camp of Reese Hoskins should just be leading off. If he's not going to lead off, I think, again, shout-outs to Destiny Legardo, who has posed um, who has posed Alec Bowman in the leadoff spot. I think that that is such a good idea. I think that you you lose nothing because it is a void right now. Um, you lose nothing by putting him up there, first of all. Second of all, he's not striking out. So, I mean, he struck out twice tonight, but he's not striking out typically. So you put him up there. He gets his last at bat, uh, you know, towards the, what, seventh inning or so, and then gets switched out for Camargo who then plays defense for the rest of the game. I think that's a great way to, oh my gosh. And that puts me on a segue to why Bryson Stott should be in the lineup, but we'll get to that. Uh, it's, Wait, it's, were you talking about Bohm's, uh last at-bat being in the seventh? Yeah, so his if he's leading off, right? His, uh-huh. his last at-bat, like his third slash final at-bat oh, now, should now come in like the seventh. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then Johan Camargo takes over. Anyway. I think that that would be a great idea. I don't think Kyle Schwarber should be towards the top of the lineup. I think he should be like somewhere in the seven, eight hole right now. That's just where he fits best. That's where you put your sellout power guy, right? And until he starts, you know, finding his swing again and getting into his groove and who's to say he hasn't, he had a smoked double tonight, but like until he starts doing that, just put him there, put him there. It doesn't matter what his reputation is. And as far as Reese goes, again, I think he should probably either be in the leadoff spot because he's he's still getting on base at a good clip or he should be somewhere near like the six hole but they should be playing their hot bats this early in the season if guys are hitting well bump them up that that just makes the most sense if they stick there great you found your leadoff guy if they don't then figure something else out so alex i'm gonna say that's that's stupid i totally disagree with you that's I, fine I, with me i hate schwerber in the seven eight hole because there's nothing to say that he's stopped being the guy he was for the rest of his career. You're totally right. Frankly, you know, it's it's a revert. He should theoretically revert to the mean tomorrow. And his mean is a number one hitter. I like Alec Bowman in the leadoff spot too. But the way I see the lineup is as a way to get as many at-bats for your best hitters. You want the guys. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restart my tangent here. I read a book recently um, called The Book, really pretentious title. But it's besides the point. Um, There's a a big section there about lineup construction. And basically it went through how valuable each outcome was from each spot. And in the end, what I sort of realized is that really lineup spots don't matter all that much. Unless besides the leadoff guy just being a good on-base guy. And in that case, you know, strikeouts don't really matter whether you strike out or or not. So over the course of a year... Each spot in the lineup will have about 18 extra plate appearances. You put a guy in the one hole, he'll have 18 more plate appearances in the two hole. Two hole, 18 more appearances in the three hole. So the, the one hole over the four hole is 
Brian, whatever the math works out to there, 36 times two, 72 at-bats. That's 72 more at-bats for your leadoff hitter. Don't you want that going to your best hitter? I mean, in my opinion, Harper should be hitting second, and then whoever's hitting best at the time should be hitting first. Yes, I always agree with that. I always think Bryce Harper should be hitting second. But also, I just mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there should be enough protection in this lineup to where you can put a guy like Kyle Schwarber at like the seven, eight hole to be like, uh, and not maybe the eight hole is too far. The seven hole, I think is where I would put him right now only against lefties. Um, whereas I would put him, you know, probably higher against righties because duh, but like right now I don't really trust him very much, you know, in a clutch AB against a left-handed pitcher that's going to change. I'm not, you know, going to make a concrete statement right now, but I totally agree with you. I would like ideally in an idyllic scenario to get my best bats near the top of the lineup, but um, that's not what the Phillies are facing right now. It's not an idyllic scenario. It is a very bad scenario. So I, understatement. I, 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 I <laughs> would really, uh, I, I think I would probably much prefer to see them shake it up right now uh, than I would like to see them run the same iteration of the lineup out there, uh, you know, every single day for, you know, all the time. That being said, if I may segue, Bryson Stott should be in the lineup every single day. And I am so frustrated that they are just keeping him at the major league level and not playing him. He hasn't been in a starting lineup in five days, five days. He's losing yeah. playing time to Johan Camargo, who look, I love how Johan Camargo has played just as much as the next guy, but there is no legitimate scenario in which, the uh, a 29 year old utility man should be seeing more playing time than a guy who is going to factor into your franchise's future for years and years and years to come. It does not make it any criminal. sense. It's criminal. It and does it not make to, it goes back to the decision maker. Yes, it certainly yeah. does. And I, it is, it is obscene. And if that, I tweeted a whole thread on this today. If, oh my gosh, gotta take a breath. If, <laughs> The decision is going to be made to call up a consensus top 100 prospect. You have got to be sure that you are going to play them. And if you're not going to see them through the struggles, then you're not going to see the good part of their game when it comes around. And like people were responding to me on Twitter today. They were like, yeah, but he's playing. Joe Girardi playing Alec Bohm every day. He's playing Johan Camargo. Those guys are in their 20s. They're young. Are we forgetting that Ronald Torres got like 300 at bats for this team last year. Are we forgetting that? Like, are, are, are we just so recently biased into like Alec Bohm becoming a Philadelphian folk hero that we're going to neglect Ronald Torres getting 300 at bats last year? I pose that question to the audience. I have a solution. I think that Bryson Stott should put on a Ronald Torres mask <laughs> and then he will see the everyday lineup. He's got see, to grow now, like a little peach fuzz mustache. Well, and also <laughs> Bryson Stott is like six feet tall, while Ronald Torres is like five foot eight. So I think <laughs> is he? I, don't, I honestly don't think. Yeah, he's very small. There I, is. I, there's. I thought he was like five foot. Four. There's a picture. There's a picture of Ronald Torres standing next to somebody. Aaron Judge, I, I think it is. I know. Picture. Talking that's about. Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge. Oh, the, yeah. the difference between I think it's Ronald Torres and Carlos Dela Cruz. There's a picture of them. Carlos Dela Cruz is an outfielder in the Phillies minor league system. He's six foot eight. There's a picture of them standing next to each other. It's unbelievable. It's so good. <laughs> I have to find it. It looks like Carlos Dela Cruz is twice his size. 
So before we go down deeper into the Ronald Torres lookalike rabbit hole, I want to pose the one good thing from this weekend, which is Andrew Painter, which frankly should be the lead uh, of this podcast. This should be the Andrew Painter cast, and we'll be done with it. Andrew Painter, the other night, he faced, I believe it was 16 batters. He struck out 14 of them. He had 15 he did. Outs, he allowed strikeouts. He allowed one base runner, uh, and it was a, a, I believe it was a soft grounder through the left side. Um, he struck out 14 of 15 possible outs. So Jacob deGrom in his one single A outing last year, same level that Andrew Painter is at now, pitched three innings. He struck out eight of nine batters that he faced. Andrew Painter, 15 possible outs, 14 possible strikeouts. Jacob deGrom, is that you? Yeah. I I mean, just call him up now. He cannot possibly be worse than than many of the players in this roster. Just put him in the bullpen. Let him develop. His last name is Painter for a reason. He yeah. do right. be painting. He so do. Now, now, now that we're talking, kind of talking about starting pitching, right? What do and, and I wanted to pose this question for a little while, right? And I think a lot of people, you know, want want the opinion on this. Um, what do we think of Ranger Suarez's season to start? I have That's no a good question. I I think that. Look, expecting what he did last year is it's a little absurdist. Obviously, he's not going to be Bob Gibson, but he's been solid. His his ERA is 438. His FIP is 439. He's he's walked a little a few more batters than I'd like, but his 6.6k rate is, you know, about what I expected. As long as he continues not to give up home runs and even cut his walk rate, Great. But honestly, if he, if he puts up an ERA in year four and he can throw 190 innings this year, the Ranger Suarez is a, is a success. Oh, he's a success anyway. Let's be completely honest here. I mean, like he he is the biggest Phillies development success in years, years and years yeah. and years. And it is it's actually, Kate, I'm that segue is actually quite good because it really does lead into like something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Uh the, the the Phillies are are doing something here. The Phillies have a type, first of all. They have targeted control less pitchers uh with and they've they've valued stuff over over command. And you know that that is the way that Major League Baseball is kind of heading these days anyway. But they have managed to harness both in Sam Coonrod and Nick Nelson now, not so much Jose Alvarado, at least yet, but Sam Coonrod and Nick Nelson have both seen drastic changes to their their walks per nine since joining the Phillies org. And they have managed to identify, not only completely reshape Ranger Suarez into a bat breaker and, you know, stellar starting pitcher. I mean, he is he has well exceeded. I was always a Ranger guy and I didn't see this, you know, this kind of thing coming. I followed Ranger for, you know, probably six, seven years before he got called up to the major leagues. And I always thought he was a high relief ceiling, uh, you know, uh, a loogie at, at best. And he turned into this really, really stellar starting pitcher. And I mean, I'm super impressed, but the Phillies have now, you know, they've done that for Ranger Suarez. They've done these things for Sam Coonrod and for uh, Nick Nelson. And, and who's to say who else is next. And then they've also identified three premium pitching talents in the major league draft in the last two years, being Mick Abel, Andrew Painter, and Griff McGarry. Yeah. They're, uh, they're doing something. They're doing something right. And look, it hasn't started to pay dividends yet because those guys are pretty far away. But like, 
something is going on where there has been a drastic change and they are targeting the right guys because Griff McGarry lasted till the fifth round in the 2021 draft. And he is a consensus premium pitching talent consensus. I don't care what site you look at. He is a consensus premium pitching talent among any prospect evaluation circle you go into. So looking way into the future with Griff McGarry, looking a little bit less into the future, but still into the future for this week, got the Colorado Rockies coming up, which are, a totally different team on the road versus at home. I, before this weekend, predicted to no one but myself that the Phillies were going to win five out of seven games this week. That's that's on ice now. I, I'm a little, little concerned after losing the series to the Brewers. I think that the Philly, I think that there's a 50-50 shot that the Phillies sweep the series because the Rockies are notoriously terrible and have been for years on the road. Yeah, they are playing way above their weight class uh, this season, I think. I mean, yeah, the Phillies, when they lost what, the first two games out of three in Colorado uh, last week, but I think the Rockies are hitting way above their weight class. I think that this is a, a perfect get-right series against the Rockies. I'm not sure that I agree with you, Ben, on the fact that they could you know sweep a four-game series. I mean, that would be nice, right? But – um, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, three out of four is, is probably in the cards. Yeah. I'm definitely feeling at least one backbreaking CJ crone, something or other. Uh, he's, he's, he's playing out of his mind right now. He's really good. I love that guy. Happy for him. He's revitalized his career. He's dope. Um, so he's going to do something important, but I do think that the Phillies, especially after what occurred tonight, I do think they can find their way back to closer to 500 uh, with this series. I, I think that it is going to probably be um, hard fought, but I also feel like people don't give enough credence to how different breaking stuff looks in the altitude of Coors Field. Um, so I, and I, it, it, that definitely is me, you know, making an excuse for the Phillies bats that are completely and utterly cold for no reason uh, in, in, in the start of the 2022 season. But, you know, I think this is a good opportunity to turn it around. I'm going with an optimistic 3-1 as well. And looking even further into the future, they will play the Mets at City Field immediately after this series. So they're going to need to find some good juju in this I'm series. going to implode. If, because they can't go into City like looking like a bunch of jokes. Plus, they're on Sunday Night Baseball again next week. So oh, wow. <laughs> expect something to go down because especially Philly, well, Philly's Mets always bring some weird stuff, and <laughs> with it on being Sunday on Sunday night baseball, oh my with it god, being on Sunday night baseball, oh. it's going to be even worse. So a- against the Mets, oh lord! But that's then, also like they'll oh. be at that game. Man, it, the Mets are riding a high right now too. So playing a home series against a division rival, arguably the one that contests them or one of the ones that contests them best for the division title while they're riding a high is uh, not ideal. I don't think, Uh, especially because that team is all small ball right now. They have just been, they have been manufacturing runs by stealing bases, bunting guys over getting just scrappily getting on base, sprinting to first base. 
Um, Lindor looking like the, uh, you know, whatever it is. Which was expected. Which was expected. It's the hair. He's really good. I don't know what (laughs) he is. He was always, always, always going to be a three to four war player floor because of his defense. So, you know, he's a Philly killer through and through. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Also, I don't know if you wanted me to give my series prediction, but everyone else was doing it. So I figured I'd give mine too. No, you're not allowed. I'm going to say it anyway. So I'm going to say two and two because I am not (laughs) – I'm not feeling very optimistic right now, but I heavily (laughs) welcome them proving me wrong. Awesome. Well, I'm sure the the, the stars will align for you, Lauren. (laughs) Everybody boo Lauren offstage. Throw tomatoes at me, please. Yeah. Well, but that's like that's a prediction that you'd love to be wrong about. So, oh yeah, here's how exactly. I love being right. Don't get me wrong. All right, folks, and with that debacle, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside the Phillies podcast. Come check us out on our website at si.com/mlb/phillies or our Twitter account at philliessi. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Good chat.